It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Welcome to another episode of Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. I'm so glad to have you with us. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host, as well as one of the certified financial planners on the show, alongside my business partner and friend, CFP Josh Gregory. Thanks, Mike. Hey, on today's show, we'll be discussing a special type of financial planning that may affect someone you know and care about. If you or someone close to you has a son or a daughter with a disability or special needs, then this show is for you. It's, uh, it's important to recognize that they may also have special financial needs. That's right. So to uh, help us introduce this topic for the very first time on the Wise Money Show, we have our guest Steve Gundy with us here on the program. That's right. And, and I just let me just foreshadow a little bit. Steve reached out to Kevin during an episode a few weeks back and proposed this idea, and I, I loved it. And we've had a few other listeners contact and say, hey, you guys should talk about um, um, planning in this circumstance or that circumstance. Folks, continue to send that feedback to us. Steve did that a few weeks ago. He's on the show. We're talking about it today. So as always, that's to illustrate. This is your show, folks. We want to talk about what you're thinking about. You can reach out to us in three different ways, wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question right there on the right revamped website. I've teased that out. Uh, let me know what you think. I think it's a little more functional and, and you'll like it better. Call or text us, 574-222-2000. I don't get those right during the show. I'll check it after, and we'll answer the question on the upcoming show. Lastly, this show is on YouTube, and we're also on Facebook, Twitter, all that, Wise Money at Wise Money Radio. So, All right, as Josh said, financial planning for families with special needs kids is such an important topic. It's not universally applicable. It's not going to apply to everyone, but I would guess you listening right now, you either have a family member, maybe a cousin or niece, nephew, or maybe a friend where the content, the topic we talk about today is going to help them. And maybe you can nudge them, maybe even send them over to listen to this on uh, on YouTube or the podcast. So to help us with this conversation, we're joined by special guest Steve Gundy to the program. Uh, Steve is a life coach consultant and the owner of Steve Gundy Coaching LLC. He's a certified Medicaid waiver provider in Indiana. His business offers consulting, coaching, and training for individuals uh, living with autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, and intellectual disabilities. The mission of Steve Gunning Coaching is to bring clarity and productivity to the lives of individuals and their families. Envision, possibility, advance the gift is the core of what Steve Gunning Coaching is all about. He's happily married to his wife, Kim, of 20 years and proud father of three kids, one of which is a special needs son. So we're glad to have you on the program, Steve. Give us a context of why you're here talking about this. Sure. Well, thank you for ha- inviting me on your show. Uh, I absolutely love working with families and individuals I serve, teaching adaptive behaviors so things go smooth for them in the community and with their vocational opportunities. I actually stumbled into this professional service meets behavioral health kind of work. Uh, I grew up my whole life undiagnosed with ADD myself. In 2006, I started addressing the concerns related to that diagnosis, and I entered into what I would call a 
my second adolescence, really. Mm-hmm. I, I got coaching on my career. I got coaching on my ADD, coaching on my finances. I hung out with so many coaches, I decided I was one of them. So <laughs> I went to coaching school and got certified as an ADHD life coach in 2009. How, how did you hear that that type of coaching existed? Did, did someone tip you off on this? Were you doing some of your own kind of hunting and, and research or... It started with some of my own career coaching. You know, I was unsatisfied with where my career was because I just didn't feel I was reaching my full potential. Uh So uh, I reached out to uh, an avenue that got me career coaching that really identified that for myself. That's awesome. And that converged on that uh, issue I had with ADD and trying to work that out in my life Mm -hmm. so that uh, I could create some forward movement with my career. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. What well, led you to uh, a special niche, it sounds like, which uh, <laughs> it certainly it, is. it's pretty fantastic to even have that form of coaching available here in our community, because I think there's so many families that really could be touched by this. Sure. But you know, as much as I love what I do, um, what I cherish the most is being a father to my special needs son, who just started high school in the last year. Oh, that's wow. great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to launch off of that experience right there, and, and we're going to dive into we're going to dive into some of the unique financial planning issues when you're trying to plan financially for someone, uh, a, a family that has a special needs child, but also talk about these are the things you want to watch out for. Before we get into that, let's talk about the care side of things, Steve. In your experience, both in the coaching world, but really also as a father of a special needs son. Talk about the experience you've had with finding out what sort of care is needed, care services are available. Well, it started out with uh, identifying some things that were going on with my son that my wife um, noticed. Um, There were just some things going on with him where he had trouble putting words together and being able to express them in a way that was meaningful and that uh, just helped him along his way. So at that time, uh, we found out about early intervention services, which is called First Steps in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can Google that and find it pretty easily. Yep. And that opened up to the services that identified, hey, we think we got something uh, developmentally going on here. It helped the doctor arrive to that diagnosis that's necessary so that we could start accessing the services we needed for him. Okay. First Steps is awesome, by the way. If uh, if you're ever wondering whether or not to reach out to that that organization to to get that kind of resource, uh, don't don't wonder. Uh, if you think that it applies to you, then certainly reach out to them. Well, so that's a little bit of my question. I mean, how do you how, how does someone with um, a, a, a f- with a child who thinks they may have special needs? How does someone know about what? programs are out there, what care or assistance is out there available to them? Is that the doctor leading them to this? How do you even find those programs? Well, there's a lot of entry points. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, it could start with your doctor because, you know, if we're really taking a disciplined approach towards things, we're going to rule out any medical issues that could explain anything that looks like a developmental disability, right? Mm -hmm. So um, after we do that, you know, a doctor might uh, refer you to a specialist, a neurologist or or a psychologist, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And other other times, it happens during conversations you just have with people in the community. Mm -hmm. And what we hope is that all roads will all roads will converge on the need for home-based community support that's available to people here in the state of Indiana. Mm. Mm. And that's the Medicaid waiver. Okay. okay. 
Okay, so I guess, and, and we're going to start leading this direction, but someone who has identified, okay, I, I, um, my son or daughter has, uh, has special needs, and I'm now getting into a program that can get them on that right track. How do you pay for that? What are the, what are the costs for those sorts of things? I mean, if it's just seeing a neurologist, like you said, or something like that, that's likely covered through their own health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. When's it time to start looking at Medicaid waivers or those sorts of things? When you do have that diagnosis. Okay. I mean, you you the first thing you're going to want to do is take that assessment material that you have that's documented down to your local Bureau of Developmental Disabilities and present that information to them so that your son or daughter can be put on the waiting list for the Medicaid waiver. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, as it stands right now, that waiting list is approximately about six to nine months. You don't have to go back very many years, though, and guys, it was 10 years. Oh, my goodness. So when I had my son diagnosed and I was looking at him being a freshman in high school before I was probably going to get services for him. Fortunately, they trimmed that down and said, hey, we need to start getting people off the list and really get them the support they need. And that's when you started seeing that list shorten. So community home-based community services is about getting a number of different therapies in place and supports in place that the state of Indiana funds. Mm -hmm. How much of that waiting list is driven by politics and just funding in the Medicaid system? I mean, did did the the list shrink because more dollars were thrown at this program or did they just hire more people and so uh, they were able to get through the list faster? What what drives all that? Boy, I'm not sure I have all the answers as far as how all this. I'm assuming uh, a lot of it. Right? I'm assuming a lot of it is political and state funding, right? Medicaid. Sure. The confusing thing, folks, is we've talked about Medicaid and Medicaid planning before on the show. Is it's a federal program that's administered and paid for by the states. Now they've got to do this little secret handshake where they get some federal funds for it. But yeah, the Medicaid system financially is in rough shape, and getting a waiver, which we're gonna get get back to in just a second. Um, yeah, I'm assuming it has a lot of political issues with it. So what we haven't quite touched on yet is how this weaves together with your financial planning and some big things that you want to make sure you watch out for, things you also want to do. So a lot more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory here coming to you from the KFG studios. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. So glad that you're with us today. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, as well as First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. Today, we are joined by special guest Steve Gundy. So glad to have him in the program. on the program today. We're talking about financial planning and the unique issues that you need to consider for families that have a child with special needs. There's special financial planning you need to go through. Uh, If you have a question on this topic, reach out to us in a few different ways. Call or text 574-222-2000 or wisemoneyradio.com. You can leave a question right there on the right. The video is going up on YouTube. I'm having a little issue with the recording. I'm assuming it's going to be there. Uh, All the previous episodes are on podcast and on the website as well. So, Okay, Steve, we left off talking about the Medicaid waiver and the Medicaid system. So define what the Medicaid waiver is, talk about eligibility, the different types, all that. So the Medicaid waiver services makes Medicaid funds available 
um, as an alternative to institutional care as long as supporting the individual in the home or community setting is no more than the cost of care with an institutional setting. Okay. So, okay. so in other words, if th- there are resources available uh, to, to help you care for your son or daughter, family member out in the community as long as that's the most cost-effective way to get it done. That's right. That you're saying? It makes it possible uh, and, and uh, for a necessary budget to be available to my son without being institutionalized, for instance. Yeah. 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 Okay. So very, very meaningful. Huge. So how do, you, how do you become eligible? For that. <clears throat> okay, so to be eligible for the Medicaid waiver, home and community-based support, uh, uh, an individual must be found to have substantial functioning limitations in three of six major areas. Okay, so so number one, your your child has a physical or intellectual disability, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, autism spectrum disorder, or conditions similar to an intellectual disability of some kind, okay? Uh, The condition is expected to continue indefinitely. The condition had an age of onset prior to the age of 22, Mm. and the individual needs a combination of services. And Mm. this all points back to uh, where we launched the discussion, which Mm. is, listen, as soon as you recognize either from medical professionals or whatnot, that your son or daughter, niece or nephew um, has special needs, you need to start exploring these services. Right, right? because you said uh, they have to have substantial need in three out out of these six areas. Who decides whether or not it's a substantial need or a an insignificant need of some sort. Sure. Well, when we talked earlier, it was about going down to the Bureau of Developmental Disabilities, Got getting it. them the information they needed. At that point, they determine uh, what the need looks like. They get you on the waiting list, and then and then in in so much time passes by, they target you for services, and you get a letter at home for that. Got it. Uh, and and it moves on from there with the services getting activated. But don't wait, folks, because as Steve said earlier, there can be a lengthy waiting list for this. I, I've often heard in the past that um, in the public schools there are certain resources available and. Um, the the term IEP mm-hmm. is thrown around quite often. Individualized educational plan. Am I saying that right? That's right. Um, and uh, basically, this is an important element for substantiating what the need is. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And you know, it makes sense that for children, uh, the parents are paying attention to education because that's a huge part of their development. Uh, but what you need to understand is that the school provides their support, but Medicaid waiver is home and community-based. It's separate from the schools, so parents don't realize that it's available once that kid gets out of school and they come home and they're dealing with real life around that diagnosis. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you, 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 there's a couple of waivers, mm-hmm. right? Can you, can you touch on those briefly? So the Medicaid waiver provides two primary waivers, okay? The first one is called the Family Support Service Waiver. Now, this is going to be someone with a diagnosis living with natural supports likely at, at home, okay. okay? And that provides them uh, approximately $16,500 a year that will pay for the case management, the behavioral service, the music therapy, recreational-based therapy, and respite that, gosh, many parents need the respite. Oh, yes, right? absolutely. Okay, I, I want to camp out on this topic for just one second because 
Uh, th- this is potentially a big deal from a financial planning standpoint. I- I've had lots of conversations with uh, clients, parents, for example, who have a son or daughter who's disabled, and they've they've gotten this family support waiver. They've got sixteen thousand five hundred dollars available each year to provide for these services, but. It's interesting to me because some of our conversations center around, well, how much of the money gets used for special therapies and things like that for the child versus this this idea of respite care. Mm-hmm. This is one that shouldn't get missed, in my opinion, because this is basically um, resources or services that give mom or dad a break. Right? Josh, you know what? The number one stressor that was found to have the most impact on special needs parents, on parents of special needs kids, was was lost sleep. Yeah. Wow. Simple sleep disturbance. I mean, think the about stress. that. The stress, the well, stress, yeah. The routines around that kid and his needs and the things that extend beyond more than what we would expect it to um, uh, cr- create issues with just getting enough sleep, dealing with exhaustion around that. So that those supportive services that are coming in, one of which is respite, is a big deal because it gives you the opportunity to take care of yourself. That's right, and that's that's huge. I mean, if there's one universal truth or observation I've made about families that are caring for a, a son or a daughter who who's disabled, I, I've noticed that their capacity for love and forgiveness and patience and mm-hmm. just servanthood is just bigger than most it people, is. right? Oh, it is. You're so they, right. They are givers mm-hmm. by their very nature. And the problem with being a caregiver is you're always pouring yourself out for someone else, and the risk is that you don't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So burnout or exhaustion, as you were saying, loss of sleep and everything, is a really big risk. And if there's a budget every year to, to be used for things like uh, you know these various services and respite. Mm-hmm. Some portion of that money maybe ought to be used for your benefit, not just your son or daughter. That's right. You know, um, think of yourself as a special needs parent, as a like a truck pulling a trailer behind you, mm. and your child is that trailer that's coming behind you. Yeah. Look, if you don't take care of the truck and the truck breaks down, the trailer isn't really going anywhere, right? Wow. That's uh, a great analogy. Well said by mm. someone, you know, a parent of a special needs son. A- yeah. Absolutely. So that second waiver, yep. the, we call that the Community Integration and Habilitation Waiver. Just say CIH waiver. Um, and what that does is it creates a bigger budget for uh, people who don't have a primary caregiver available to them. So there's some criteria to get on this budget that provides residential staffing and a host of number of things that are needed. Uh, So a person might uh, have a death of a primary caregiver and there's no caregiver available. Mm. Uh, Mm. They may have a caregiver over 80 years of age and there's no caregiver available. And there's there could be evidence of abuse and neglect in a current place that they're living at, or some uh, extraordinary health and safety risk that presents itself. So that gets you from a place of natural supports to needing to have full support through those Medicaid waiver funds. Okay, I I bet that's a big deal for most parents because I would suspect that the number one fear or concern that they have is when when they as the parent are no longer around to be able to provide this care and support. Are there resources, are there other people who can step in behind them and kind of pick up where they, they left off? Can you can you start talking about how someone accesses the Medicaid waiver? How do, how do, they, how do they apply for these two waivers? Well, um, 
by the time you start looking at the waivers, uh, the state of Indiana will determine your need and and get you the funds that are available to you okay. to get those supportive services in place. And then that relationship with your case manager is really important. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that relationship with your case manager will help you determine what the next step looks like mm-hmm. for what mm-hmm. supportive services need to be. Got it. Do you and, and your coaching program, do you help folks with that sort of stuff? Or is that is there an attorney that they should work with for um, applying for the waiver? Um, how does that work? Well, there's certain all kinds of complexities that come with, with getting the Medicaid funds available for that because yeah. you now have to get your uh, son or daughter on Medicaid to make that happen. Um, again, I want to take you right back to that case manager. Okay, so they're going to be the be point available. person. They're, the, they're your point person. All right, so some of you are wondering, okay, so we've talked about getting the right care, and now we talked about Medicaid. Now, we're going to start weaving in the financial planning aspects of this. Oftentimes, people want to shelter and just smother this family with funds and resources and sometimes can do more harm than good. We're going to tell you some things to watch out for and other components of financial planning that deal with families with special needs. So that and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Hello, folks. Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory, and special guest Steve Gundy coming to you from the KFG studios. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. That's Corhorn with a K. So glad to have you with us. Special thanks to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with REMAX 100 for making the Wise Money Show possible. Today, special guest Steve Gundy is on the program helping us discuss the unique financial planning issues that you need to be aware of for families with a child that has special needs. We're about, we're about to weave in the financial planning issues and some of the mistakes you need to avoid. So a lot here coming up. If you've missed anything, want to catch up on previous episodes, wisemoneyradio.com or at wisemoney on YouTube. And if you have a question, text call 574-222-2000 or visit us at wisemoneyradio.com. All right. So We've talked about the importance of getting the right level of care when you find out you've got a uh, son or daughter with special needs, and then starting to go through the Medicaid waiver process. We explained a little bit of what that is, the two different types of it. Now let's start talking about the financial planning considerations, right, Mm -hmm. uh, that are unique to um, in, in these sorts of situations. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I first want to acknowledge before we entertain this conversation about financial planning is that, um, you know, situations that call for resources we're not sure that we're going to have. And um, typically, those kinds of conversations are avoided. Yeah. Yeah. And And I just really want to encourage all the special need parents out there have the conversation. Don't be afraid to have this conversation. I mean, the disability alone and the future of your child is just really hard to address because there are so many unknowns about what the future holds uh, by, say, comparison to typical kids. I mean, as parents, we think about empowering our kids to successfully leave, and then they become adults. And here we are talking about taking steps to provide for them on some level effectively for the rest of their lives. Right. Yeah, that's right. right. You know, that, that's true of all parenting, right? I I uh, stumbled upon a book uh, on my shelf called The New Father mm. and just the other day, and I thought, oh, I should read that. 
Oh, you're going to give that to me? Is that what you Maybe. <laughs> but then I realized, well, I've been a dad for 10 years, actually, and uh, I'm still figuring it out, right? Yeah. I've never been the dad of a fourth grader before. Next year, I've never been the dad of a fifth grader That's before. That's a good point. And so part of parenting is kind of figuring out what your kids' needs are as they are discovered, right? And along with that parenting, what's unique to special uh, needs parents is that progressively as they go along that life with their kid growing up, there's losses each stage of the way. Mm-hmm. What they thought was going to be is needing a revision. And yeah. if you're not careful, you can get stuck there in that grief around that and not really create the forward movement you need. Mm. You know what? So so you are hitting on the emotional aspect right. of of uh, facing a special needs situation. And you could say the exact same thing from a financial standpoint as well. Financial planning uh, in a special needs situation is often a slow, progressive discovery that maybe your situation is a little bit different than your peers. Your neighbors maybe have a different tax picture than what you do. Maybe the rules of thumb that would apply to them, they don't apply to you. And, you know, we, this show is all about financial planning. We try to um, impart uh, just the recognition that any decision you make in any area of your financial life is going to have an impact in other areas. But again, it's different if you're doing special needs planning. Think about this. If, um, you know, some of the work that we do in retirement planning with most of our clients is how do we make sure the money lasts as long as the youngest spouse or the longest living spouse? But if you have a child who is dependent upon your resources or your income, maybe your your own retirement projection has to last another generation. That's exactly right. Right? Yeah. And so it can create uh, the need sometimes for additional resources that maybe aren't as important as your neighbor might encounter. For example, maybe you have a permanent life insurance need. Mm-hmm. No matter when you pass away, do you need to have money kind of created out of thin air for your son or daughter's benefit? And a specific way to set that up and where that money is left to the right entity. Exactly. To not, we're going to get into mistakes in just a second, to not unwind all of the services and care that you've uh, built up. That's that's a very important point to make, right? We, we haven't really explicitly said that many of these benefits that are available in the, the you know, s- social safety nets, public assistance, that yep. sort of thing, much of it is needs-based, right? It's means-tested. It is meant for those who don't have the resources to take care for, of, of themselves. And so if all of a sudden your son or daughter inherits some money and they have resources, what if it suddenly disqualifies them for all those waivers and all those things that you worked so hard to put in place, but accidentally they inherited some dollars that you maybe shouldn't have left behind directly to them? Many well-intentioned parents and family members do something financially that they think is really going to be a big help and it ends up being a big hindrance. And so let me just tell you, I, I want to I tee it up for Steve to give some um, don't do, some big mistakes. And we're not going to be able to get through all 10 of them, but he's going to grab uh, the ones that are most important. But let me just tell you, you, you need a caseworker in dealing with this, right, to get on the right Medicaid waiver and all of that. You need a financial planner because the financial planning that you need to do is unique. It's different. And you also need the right attorney 
and it's a you need a special needs type of attorney who's familiar with those sorts of things. That's most of your team. You you need some professionals with you to help you get to get this right. So so there's three very important things I'm thinking of that you want to watch out for. Okay, as a special needs parent. Okay. And number one is, if you have a special needs child before they turn 18, have a serious conversation about whether you need to obtain legal guardianship yeah. of your child so that you can represent them. You think about the future and them having a team of people uh, being involved, they're going to have influence on your son or daughter when it comes time for them to make choices. This helps you protect the choices for them. It also uh, creates an opportunity for uh, your benefits to go to them through the Social Security mm. um, at the time of your passing. That's right. That's, That's right. Huge. Yep. So uh, a second thing is uh, making sure that you are, in fact, taking care of yourself. That's what those supportive services facilitate, is for you to be able to do that. So what are your wishes for your child? Now that you're taking care of yourself, you're not exhausted, and you can start thinking clearly about what the future might look like. That can best be encapsulated in something we call a letter of intent, easy to look up on the internet and get an idea of how to do, but it gets your wishes down on paper. Now you take that to your financial planner, and that really opens up the conversation with a lot of clarity. Mm. And then finally, the third thing, watch out for this. Don't micromanage everything on your own. Sometimes when you micromanage everything on your own, you're taking too much on yourself. And it, and it can tend to get in the way of the supportive services that are there to work with your kid and really work with them to help them to become as independent as possible. Mm. So that's huge. Don't, don't micromanage things. Great advice. What you know, you one of the... Uh, most common mistakes that I've seen when it comes to estate planning, and, and this is maybe universal, not just uh, special needs planning, is the idea that I'm going to leave everything behind to one of my kids and just kind of trust that they're going to take care of everybody else, right? They know my wishes. They'll carry it out. And you may not realize that you're actually exposing them to some real tax inefficiencies. You may be exposing money to creditors. Um, you know, in a divorce situation, some of the resources that you intended to go to your kids could go to uh, an ex-spouse. And we never think that these things would ever happen in our family, right? right? right. But that's what everybody says right before it happens in their family, Yeah. right? Yeah. So um, this is especially important in the area of special needs planning. Don't try to just come up with an informal, real basic plan and skip the process of a, uh, a true estate plan with a professional an attorney and a, a financial advisor guiding you. Uh, make sure that you get the right documents in place. That's really what a competent attorney can help you with. And the right structure in place. We didn't even touch mm -hmm. on some of the systems available through the mm -hmm. state of Indiana where uh, you or relatives can gift, gift money and set it aside um, for the, the care of the special needs individual. So you're going to want to work with an attorney and a financial planner to help set that up. Steve, thanks for being on the program today. This has been very helpful. Now, folks, this is just an introduction to this whole topic, hopefully nudging you to have a great conversation with the team around you. Coming up, we've got a great question from listener Rick who asked whether you should sell your house and invest the money and rent instead. That and more coming up here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group.
This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory here, coming to you from the KFG Studios. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a question, reach out to us. Text call 574-222-2000. A lot of folks, when they text, they think I'm going to get that right in the middle of the show. No, folks, I'm trying to pay attention. Only Casey is that good. Um, But we'll put it in the queue for an upcoming show. We've got two great questions coming up, Rick and Sandy. If you've missed anything, catch catch the show, wisemoneyradio.com. You can submit a question that way as well. Or on YouTube, at Wise Money Radio, Facebook, Twitter as well. All right. Hey, want to say thanks again to Steve Gundy, who has been on with us for the first portion of the show, talking about financial planning for families that have a special needs child. He is both uh, a coach where he helps consult and coach families going through this, but he's also uh, he's a parent of a, of a child, a son with special needs. So he's gone through this, folks. If you want to check him out or you have questions for him, you can find him online and on Facebook at stevegundycoaching.com. Casey was joking, saying, you want to coach with a gun, gun in his name. So stevegundycoaching.com <laughs> and on Facebook. So, uh, Josh, how would you recap the discussion before we dive into questions? You know, questions? the biggest biggest takeaway that I, I took from Steve was this idea that, first of all, uh, it is special needs planning is a special form of planning, yep. and it is unique, and you need to educate yourself on this. But his point about not walking this road alone really stood out to me, and it's incredibly important because – uh, there may be people that you can surround yourself with competencies and experience that you don't have, or maybe you don't have the time to build up over time yourself. Yeah. Um, so, so not walking this alone, seeking out the the advice of others. But you know, it's it's one thing to have good intentions, but without good planning, also you may have some unintended consequences. And if there was ever an area where the consequences are huge, mm-hmm. it is in the area of special needs planning. Yep. And uh, so you don't you don't want to walk through that minefield by yourself. Your financial planner, certified financial planner, it shouldn't be the expert in this, but they should know enough that they can pull in the right professionals, the right experts. And Josh, uh, you've got a brother with special needs and you've served a lot of f- folks here that have come seeking services. And so folks, just make sure you're getting your certified financial planner involved. He mentioned that one of the biggest stressors on families, parents with kids that have special needs is sleep, lack of sleep and the stress that that creates and so on. And you know, we all know also one of the other biggest stressors on marriages is money. So when you combine the financial planning issues of having a family with a child that has special needs, as well as the other stressors that come with that, the emotional stressors, folks, that can be a really tough recipe. Don't go that alone. Get your certified financial planner involved. Get the right professionals involved. Don't avoid these conversations. So hopefully that helps. Oh, my goodness, folks, you know, if you're a regular listener to The Wise Money Show, you know I'm way behind with questions just because the content. We've had special guests and so on. And so, gosh, we've got a couple that have been in the queue for a few weeks, Rick and Sandy. We're going to start with Rick's. Here's his question. Um, Tagging on to the rent versus own discussion we had this uh, several weeks ago. As a senior who owns their $400,000 home, does it make more sense to rent or to own? Here's what he says. He continues. If I sold my $400,000 house and invested it in the stock market at an average return of 10%, I'd make 40 grand per year. If I rented for 1000 a month, it'd only be 
twelve grand a year. Wouldn't I be ahead by $28,000 a year? Great question, Rick. You're not the only one. This was coming off of another question, listener and uh, Jared from Chicago saying, hey, in this kind of market, in my situation, should I rent or buy? You've just turned it on its head. You already own. Sounds like your house is paid off. Should you sell and invest? Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that Rick frames it mostly as a math problem, though. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, if if you could sell your house for four hundred thousand, and if you could invest it at ten percent, and if you are willing to spend all ten percent and not leave some intact for growth and accumulation to keep up with inflation, then mathematically on paper it looks like, hey, why wouldn't you do this? Yeah. But I, I think it's important that it also recognize, or, or it's important to recognize that um, this takes away some of the safety net in your retirement projection. We also have to ask the question: Is ten percent realistic? Yeah, that that was the first thing that stood out to me. I agree that it's just focusing on the math, where in reality there's behavioral finance, there's other issues, and there's one big one that I'm going to touch on in just a second that really you've got to include in this huge decision before you make it. But the other is, he says, as a senior, so he, he he's already at a situation where he's either in retirement or at retirement. Uh, are you going to invest in such a way that you'd even get the stock market return? Shouldn't right. you be more diversified, more conservative? And then, you know, what the uncertainty, the volatility of the market moving forward is something to consider. Yeah, if, if we were going to give a rule of thumb, I, a diversified mix of investments taking a very modest level of risk, maybe six, seven percent over time. Yeah. Maybe as high as 8% if you're really leaning to be a little bit more aggressive, but 10% to me feels like it's it's theoretically possible if you are staying really aggressive and we would just never recommend that to you. Yeah, if for going through your retirement. The thing I, that I bring up, there's this really geeky thing and folks, you know, I'm uh, I'm known for bringing up the geeky stuff here on the show. It's a really geeky analysis. It's kind of advanced math, if you will. And talk us about the sequence of returns and how when you're in retirement, say you've got two folks, uh, two families going through retirement, and over their 30-year retirement, if you average out all of their returns, they're the exact same, okay? The exact same average rate of return, such that you mentioned here, Rick. Exact same. Well, if, the, if one family starts out and their investments go down, down, down three years, and then they go back up in the future. And you compare that to the person where their investments go up, up, up for three years, right at retirement, and then start heading down from there. Even though they'll have the same average rate of return, the person whose investments went down, down, down to start will run out of money significantly sooner. And that would be my concern for you, Rick, and this is all leading back to one question that I have for you, but it would be a shame to have you reach that average return of 10% a year, say, if it even is out there, but that you start off by going negative 20, negative 20, negative 20. And and that that could be disastrous where this, this math then actually doesn't work long term. That's right. Right. So and, go ahead. Well, I, I think there's another question that's kind of implied here, and this is the genius of Rick's question. That is, 
how much of your wealth should be tied up in your home as you march into retirement? Mm, I didn't think you were going to go there. Okay. Um, And and it's maybe an important question that even a 30-year-old right now should be contemplating. Because I've run into people, uh, there is a, a value or a belief out there that says, my home is my most important asset. Uh, for some people, it's their most valuable asset, but that doesn't mean it's their most beneficial asset in retirement. A home, by its nature, is illiquid. So if you own your home outright when you get to retirement, but you don't also have built up uh, tremendous resources that are liquid in investment accounts that can kick off income to you, then the risk is you have a wonderful house, it's paid for, you've got a roof over your head but you don't have the money you need to live life the way that you've intended. Exactly. And see, so so to me, the big question here for you, Rick, is do you need to do this? Yeah. Do, because some folks need to downsize their house or make a drastic housing change in order for their vision of retirement to actually work. So one, do you need to? And then if you don't need to, then do you want to? Do you want to live somewhere where you're renting that's not really yours? Some people might because you can get some amenities. You won't have to do some upkeep. Um, But I'd first want you to ask, do you need to? And then after that, do you want to? What's your vision of retirement? Just to what Josh said. And does that fit? That's right. That's right. You know, it also has an impact on your estate plan. Um, You know, often when we're running retirement projections for our clients to help them stress test whether their money is going to last as long as they need it to. Is it going to go all the way through retirement or are they going to run out soon? We're often testing it, assuming that you're just living off your retirement nest egg, but we always have in the back of our mind, there's home equity there. If you ran out of money, we could tap into it then. There's some margin. Yeah. If you start retirement already tapping into your home equity, though, do we have that safety net anymore? It increases the risk of your overall retirement plan. That's right. Yeah. Great question, Rick. And and hopefully that helps you. I think a lot of people uh, wonder whether they should uh, get some of that home equity out of their house and invest it as well. And, and we would say really a, a similar response. So um, great question, Rick. Thanks for listening. Folks, that is all the time we have for today. I first want to say a special thanks to guest Steve Gundy, stevegundycoaching.com, as well as on Facebook, Steve Gundy Coaching. You can find him and see questions that way. On behalf of Steve, Joshua Gregory, and myself, and all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, Have a great weekend, folks. We'll see you next week for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.